Well, it is good to see everybody this morning. My name's Nate, one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you, especially if it's your first time. And would you do me a favor? Would you welcome people in our video venue watching on our live stream right now? I want to let them know that we are so glad they're tuning in and being a part of this church family. And uh, if you haven't been here for the past couple of weeks, uh, we started a new series two weeks ago called Be Rich. And uh, because we know this time of year, whether you're Christian or not, uh, that in this world, everybody starts being a little bit more generous than normal. We're going, hey, it's that time of year and we love to serve. And, you know, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you know, you're like, man, it, it feels good to help somebody else. And uh, our only thing is this, when Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to follow him, not just for a season, but with our life. That he says, I have a new way for you to live. I actually have a way for you to live that keeps giving you life, not just in this season, but in every day and in every way, I want to be your life. And so we talked about this series a couple weeks ago called Be Rich, because the temptation in this world, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes to Timothy to remind the church that the temptation in this world for you and I is this, not to be rich, but the temptation is to get rich. And to feel like if we can get rich, then our life will be complete. Things will work out. And this is what Paul tells Timothy. He says, hey, warn the church, be careful not to try to get rich. He says, but to, to really be content with God. Because he says this, godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, sometimes we have this thought, you know, it's like, man, if I start following God and I'm trusting him and I got to be generous, man, God's going to like, it's not going to be any fun. You know, and God doesn't want me to have any fun. He just wants me to feel guilty for the rest of my life for what I've done, and that's what it means to be a follower of him. Some of you are like, are you reading my mind right now? Yes, I'm reading your mind, all right? But Paul says, no, 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 Timothy, remind the church that godliness with contentment is great gain, that God wants you to understand, hey, there is nothing greater than this world and Jesus. Nothing else in this world will satisfy your soul. There's no new car. There's, no, there's nothing. There's no possession, no relationship that will satisfy. And then he goes on to say this. He says, because those who want to get rich actually fall into temptation, and it's a trap. And, we, you know, we talked about this a couple, of week, a couple of weeks ago. Anybody ever made a financial decision that they regret? Like, yes, you know, this is our confession moment right now. We're like, man, if I wouldn't have done this and if I wouldn't have done that, man, I could be so much more generous. You know, I would love to do all this other stuff, but what I did. And Paul says, man, that's the trap that when you try to get rich, man, you're going to fall into temptation and it is a trap. And what he says is, no, God has called us to live this life of being rich. And it starts last week, and we started by saying this, if you want to experience this rich life of God, you've got to allow Christ to be the blessing in your life. That we are blessed with Christ to be a blessing. Matter of fact, this is what he tells Timothy to instruct the church to tell you and I. This is what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. He says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Man, it's so uncertain when we try to trust money. It never works out the way we think. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Part of the problem is this. The reason why I don't feel rich is because I've never taken the time to really experience the blessing of Christ in my life. And to go, man, I am rich because of him, because he richly provides everything that I need, and he allows me to enjoy life as he blesses me. Now, I was listening to one of my favorite pastors. His name's John Tyson. 
And uh, he's a pastor in New York City, brilliant guy, has an Australian accent. So even if his sermon's not any good, I like listening to him, right? I'm like, man, that guy's just cool. And, uh, and I was listening, and sometimes we, we hear that passage, hey, put your hope in God, don't put your hope in wealth, it's so uncertain, you're like, yada, 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 just pray so we can get out of here. You know, and, and what he said is this, I, I was listening to him talk about this, and I thought he wrote, brought up a great point. He said, you know, as Americans, because he's Australian, he said, as Americans, do you realize how violent your language is? I went, what, what's he talking about? He said, if you're doing well at work or if you're doing well in life, what do people say you're doing? You're killing it. Right? You're killing it. Man, you crushed it. I murdered that presentation. You're like, <laughs> I started thinking about it. I'm like, ooh, yeah. You know, we, we do have these violent words. And he brings this up because he says, there's nothing wrong with having kind of these words. Oh, man, you crushed that. You killed that. That was awesome. He goes, it's not that you're not complimenting. But he said, here's the problem with that. He says, what do you do when you're not killing it and you're not crushing it? And you're not murdering it. How do you begin to think about yourself? I began to think about that. And I've had moments where I've preached and I walked off. And I'm like, I need to send an apology email to the church. That was a terrible sermon. And I've had those moments. And here's, here's what John Tyson was challenging me with was this. If we're not careful, if we don't allow Jesus to be our blessing, that everything is found in him, I will base my life off of my performance. Did I kill it? Did I crush it? Did I murder it? And here's what, this is what he says. He goes, and when you don't, your work kills you, crushes you, and murders your soul. And then he quoted one of my favorite theologians, A.W. Tozer. And A.W. Tozer, and this is what I love reading people who are dead, because when you read their stuff and it's still true today, you know it's from God. And this is what A.W. Tozer said. He said, there's this monstrous heresy in the church that we all believe most of the time and we don't even realize it. And he said, here's the monstrous heresy. And heresy means to believe something that's not of Scripture. You know, because if I ask you today, do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, and that he died on the cross for your sins? You're like, that's why I'm here. So I'm not at brunch, Nate. Hurry it up, right? You're like, that's why I believe in that. Yes, I believe he resurrected, that he conquered death. I believe that. I believe it. And, and this is what A.W. Tozer said. He goes, here's the monstrous heresy that Christians believe, and they don't even realize it. And this is what he says, that what we do makes us valuable to God. That what you do and how you do it makes God love and bless you more. So if you're not killing it, God probably doesn't love me. And God is waiting for me to start crushing it. And when I start crushing it, then he's going to love me more. He says, this is the heresy that Christians believe. See, this is why we got to take a time out and go, no, no, no. We are blessed and he has richly provided us with everything and for our enjoyment in Christ Jesus. There is only contentment for my soul in Jesus. We will never become the blessing that God wants us to be to this world until we stop and understand that we are blessed with Christ. Because if not, your work will kill you. And for some of you moms who are stay-at-home moms, if you don't feel like you're being a good mom, your identity and your thought of yourself will crush you. 
See, we are blessed. And what happens is this. When we start allowing our hearts and our minds to recognize that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, we can now become rich and be a blessing to other people. That's why Paul, right after that, verse 17, he goes into verse 18 and 19, and he says, Timothy, command the church. Command them, now that they know that they're blessed, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. He says two different things. He says, one, you need to do good. Now that you've understand that you're blessed, that you have been blessed by Christ, that you are rich in Christ. Now do good and be rich in good deeds, not so that God would maybe love you and approve you. He does because of Christ. Now do good, be rich in good deeds. And then he says to be generous and willing to share. He says, this is what this rich life looks like, to be a blessing to this world. He says, and in this way, this is what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and when you do that, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. I have never regretted one time when I've been obedient and been generous the way that God's wanted me to be generous. Never have regretted it. Never regret it. He goes, no, there's a firm foundation so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is why the church doesn't exist for itself. This is why the blessing of Christ isn't just for us, but it is for the world through us. Now, some of you are like, okay, Nate, you know, I get it. Blessed to be a blessing. You know, again, why does this matter? I, I uh, went and visited my grandma uh, last Monday, took the kiddos over there to see her. My grandpa had passed away a number of weeks ago, went over to spend, you know, some of my day off with her to, to spend time. And she, uh, before he died, they had bought a new TV and the new TV credenza. I hadn't seen it. And I said, man, grandma, that's really beautiful credenza. And she goes, funny story. I said, what do you got, grandma? She said, I went to the store to buy it and it was already put together. And she said, I went to buy it and no salesperson was around. So I went and got a sales manager, came back. And she said, when I came back, there was a man standing there by the credenza. And uh, the manager walked up with me and the guy said, I, I want to buy this. And she said, oh, I'm sorry, sir. I was just here, went to get him. You know, I I'm going to buy it. And he goes, I don't care. I'm buying this. And my grandma, she's one of the sweetest ladies. She was like, oh, but she goes, I wasn't having it. I was going to buy that credenza that day, you know, and, and uh, I was like, you know, I'll go, Grandma, all right, and uh, she told him, she goes, no, she said, you know, my husband and I, we're older, we, we don't want to go through the process of putting this together, it's already built, we need to buy this, and the guy goes, I don't care, she said, he's like in his third, she goes, I don't care, I'm buying this, and the manager's like, whoa, whoa, yeah, uh, he's trying to, you know, tame the situation, so he goes, let me see if we have another one in the back, not another one in the back, he, he said, let me, call, let me call the other stores and see if they got one. Not another one. All the stores. And so she's not backing down. He's not backing down. And they both just look at the manager and he goes, well, the, the protocol is, sir, she came to me first. We're going we're gonna to let her buy this one. And this 30-year-old guy looked at my grandma and said this, hope you rot in hell. And then she said, I will with this credenza. No, she didn't, man. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be incredible? She didn't say that. <laughs> She's sharp enough. But I sat there and I gasped, just like you when she told me that, that somebody would tell her, go rot there for eternity. And she goes, where, where are people at today? And it began to make me think, Somewhere in this guy's life, 
he began to give himself, either he began to give himself permission to speak like that, or he was raised in a family that said, it's okay to tell people where they can spend eternity. See, this is why Paul says, Timothy, call the church back to the life that God's called us to. You know, if I were to go around and ask all of you, I'd go, hey, are you a good person? What would we all say? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, if there's a bulletin board here at church, I belong on it, you know. <laughs> Maybe five stars or whatever, you know, by my name. You know, we all believe, man, we're all, we're all good person. We're all this stuff. And this is why Paul says, no, 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 remember, this is what this being a blessing looks like. Because oftentimes we will give ourselves permission, just like that guy gave himself permission to say whatever he wants, to send my grandma to wherever he thought she deserved to go, and all this other stuff. When we start giving our permit, ourselves permission to live the life we want to, and we forget that the calling of a Christian, one, is to find our blessing in Christ, and then to be a blessing, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Matter of fact, if you've noticed, we kind of no longer look like a Christian nation in America. And a lot of pastors are having trouble right now going, well, you know, let's just pass another law. Let's get another policy, and that'll bring back Christianity. No, 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 no. From here on out, we're the visiting team in America as Christians. you got to understand that. We're the visiting team. And we go, how are we going to reach this world? And this is how all of Christians, all the way starting back in Rome, in all of biblical times, because as soon as it got out, they persecuted Christians. And this was the way that Christianity reached the world. They outloved the world. They outloved the world. In Rome, when they had killed Christians for being Christians, there began to have these plagues and epidemics in Rome, and it was the Christians who would stay behind and take care of the sick and to walk with those who didn't have anything. And then the world began to go, why are you doing this? And they go, because this is what Jesus did for us. That in our sickest moment, in our darkest moment, Jesus came and saved us. See, this is how we're to be the light as Christians in this world. This is why it's so important for us to do good and to be rich in good deeds, not because then hopefully we'll earn God's love, but because that's what God has done for us. And he goes, and when we take hold of that, we take hold of the life that he has for us. Matter of fact, Jesus talks about this and he rebukes the Pharisees who know God's word in Matthew chapter 23 because they had started giving themselves permission to only do what they thought was best and to act how they thought was best. And listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 23. He calls the Pharisees back to the heart of God because they have given themselves permission to live however they wanted as followers of God. Listen to what he says, Matthew chapter 23, verse 23 and 24. This is the words of Jesus. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint and dill and cumin, this is kind of how wealth, people had possessions and they would tie, they would give a tenth of that back to God. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Jesus is the greatest teacher of all time. I love his illustrations. You blind guides, you swallow, you, you take a gnat out, but you swallow a camel. And this is what he was saying. This is what was happening with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were going, you know what? We're going to give a tenth back to God, but we're not going to have the heart of God. For some of us, it might be easier just to write the check and go, hey, 
I, I kind of like bought God off, right? I wrote the check, so God, get off my back. And some of us, it's easier to do that. You're going, you got so much money, you're like, I could write whatever check, I didn't even know it's gone. And then there's others that we love to serve, but when it comes to being generous, we're like, whoo boy. And Jesus says, no, it's not one or the other, it's both. And, and this is what I love about Jesus. A lot of times, today especially, if somebody gives money, we treat them more important than anybody else. And the Pharisees were giving back to God, and who did he rebuke? He didn't rebuke those who weren't giving back. He was rebuking the ones who had actually given money, but he said this, because it's not about money, it's about your heart. It's about justice and mercy and faithfulness in this world. And here's his whole point. If we don't have the heart of God, he goes, you won't be generous in this world. And he calls us back. And so here's what I want us to do today. Out of Jesus and out of Paul's words here, I want to do kind of a 30,000-foot overview of the Bible. What does it look like for you and I to live a generous life? Because if we're not careful, this is what we'll do. We'll say stuff like this. We'll help somebody across the street, or we'll mow somebody's lawn, and then we'll say phrases like this. That's my good deed for the day. Right? There's no more left in me. Talk to me tomorrow. And I don't think that's the heart Jesus is talking about. Jesus says, we are to be people of justice and mercy and faithfulness, willing to share. This is what it means to be the church. And the best way I can summarize what Paul is saying is there's three ways that you and I, God wants us to be generous in this world, to be rich in good deeds. And there's three things. If you're taking notes, you want to write this at the top. This is why I'm going to summarize this. There's three ways God wants us to be generous. It's simply through this, through our time, our talents, and our treasure. See, oftentimes we only think there's one way to be generous when there's a lot of ways to be generous. There's a lot of ways that God's saying, I want to work in and through you in this way. Here's what I mean when we say time. You'll want to write this out by the word time. Time is this, that we prioritize what's important. You do recognize that time is the most precious thing you have, don't you? Because you can't buy anymore. You don't get to go to the store and buy anymore. My wife sent me an article. I thought this was fascinating. And sometimes when your spouse sends you an article, you have to read it cryptically, right? You're like, are you just wanting to help me or am I supposed to learn something here? You know, and you're like, oh. And I, but I thought this was great because this is, you know, that right now this is the busiest we've ever been. Three young kids. I'm in a new role. We're in a new season. We're trying to be parents. We're still trying to invest in our marriage. We don't know what we're doing. You know, we're a Holy Spirit help us. And, and we're busier than we've ever been. And when we're busier than we've ever been, we say stuff like this. Somebody invites us to do something compassionate or all this other stuff. And you go, man, I wish I could. I just don't have any time. And this article she gave me said this. I thought it was fascinating. The author said, if you want to realize when you say, I'm too busy or I don't have time, what you need to say is this instead. It's not a priority to me. It's not a priority to me. Man, I'd love to work out. I just don't have time. And what we need to say is this. Being healthy is not a priority to me. That hurts, doesn't it? Man, I know me and my wife, we need to go out on a date, but man, I'm just so busy. No, what you need to say is this. My spouse is not a priority. Well, I need to hang out with my kids. I just, I got to work overtime. I got to do all this other stuff. I just don't have time to hang out with my kids. No, what we need to say is my kids are not a priority. Stings a whole lot more. 
And see, one of the ways that Jesus says that if we're going to be generous, if we're going to do this stuff, is it comes through our time, making it a priority. And you know what I'm finding in my own life? Ruthie shared that with me so we can make sure in our marriage, yes, we're busier than ever and all this other stuff, but we're going, we have to prioritize doing good and being rich in good deeds in our life. We have to prioritize it. We have to put it on, I'm a to-do list type of guy, and we got to put it on our to-do list. Matter of fact, she's going to be helping with one of her ministries she's involved with tonight, which means I'm on kid duty, right? The IU game's at 3.30. All right, we're going to turn the IU game on. You're going to run around like I'm already planning what I'm going to do. She's got to help tomorrow morning with the ministry she's involved with. I know I'm running the kids to school, and I could become very bitter as a husband. Hey, that's my day off. Don't you know? And this, that, and the other. And you know what's happening as we're prioritizing doing good in our marriage? It's actually bringing our marriage closer together. Because here's what's happening in our marriage. Now our marriage, we don't exist for just each other. Our marriage exists for something greater than ourselves. My wife has the spiritual gift of empathy off the charts. It's way different than mine. She loves to sit with those who are hurting and broken. And guess what that takes? Time. Time. And what God is saying is to you and I is this. Hey, I want you to prioritize this in your schedule. That way you don't use the excuse, I'm busy, I don't have time. No, what we begin to say is it is a priority for us as Christians to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to bring justice, to help the oppressed, to help those folks, to come alongside people. I remember when I was seven years old, I was so mad at my dad one time. And uh, because on Monday nights, we, we grew up in South Louisville for a couple of years. And I remember when I was seven years old, on Monday nights, all of us guys, we'd get out there and we'd play football together in the streets and all this other stuff. And, and it was Monday night and we'd come out, are you ready for some football? You know, and we'd all get together and we'd play tackle football and we'd run around the streets. And I remember one Monday night, my dad came up to me. I was about ready to run out. He said, Nate, you're not playing football tonight. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? He goes, nope, I'm loading up the car. We got the lawnmower in there. We got the leaf blower in there. We got the rakes in there. You know, he goes, get in the car. We're not playing football tonight. And I'm like, you don't love me. <laughs> you know, you don't love me, Dad. We drove over, and we drove over to this guy's house. His name uh, was Guy Looney. And Guy was a part of our church there in South Louisville. I hadn't seen him for a number of months. And we showed up, and Dad starts mowing his lawn. And he goes, Nathan, I want you to rake up. I want you to rake up the leaves. And I'm out there with the rake. This is slave labor, you know, and all this other stuff. I'm raking up, and I'm mad at Dad, and all this other stuff. I'm seven years old. You don't want me to have any fun, and this and that. We rake the leaves, and we mow, and all this other stuff. Guy Looney still not come out and said anything. I'm like, this guy's not even grateful, you know, with what we're doing. And then at the end, Guy comes to the door, and he invites us in for a Pepsi in a bottle. Anybody remember that in a bottle? Oh, man, it tastes so much better. I sat down in Guy Looney's living room, and I didn't know it, but Guy had gotten cancer a number of months before. And I remember this. This is 30 years ago. And Guy had begun to get jaundice, and his skin had started turning yellow. And I remember as a seven-year-old sitting in Guy's living room, talking with him. And as a seven-year-old, I, I, I can't comprehend what's happening. And I remember walking out, and we prayed for Guy that night. And it started, the, the dots started connecting for me going, wait a second. I think this is what we're supposed to do as the church. And I walked out that night from Guy's house to the car. And I remember telling my dad, dad, this is way better than playing football, isn't it? He goes, yes, it is. Right now, I feel God speaking in my heart as a parent going, Nate, you know, because I got 
kids, and, you know, there's nothing worse than pastor's kids. You know, there's kind of a reputation. <laughs> right? And I can worry about raising pastor's kids, or I can listen to the Lord. You know what the Lord's telling me? Nate, if you want your kids to be the church when they grow up, they need to see the church now. If I want them to be the church, they need to see the church. 30 years ago, Guy's face is still ingrained on my mind because my dad let me see the church when I was seven. See, this is the life that God's called us into, but it starts by with our time. And it goes into our talents. Now, here's the thing. If Guy's sink was, you know, if his plumbing was messed up, don't call the Ross boys, all right? We are not your guys, right? Matter of fact, our spiritual gift is holding the flashlight, right? That's about all we got when it comes to that. And this is why we need to trust God with our talents. So many of us in this room, you are so talented, you are so gifted by God, and the problem is this, God wants you to be generous, and you think you have nothing to give. Oh, I mean, I don't have anything good to give. I'm not worth anything. Let me point you to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This will be a battle for your mind. You'll go, you know what? I'm, I'm too busy. I'm not talented. I don't have anything to offer. Oh, no, 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 no. This is where we got to slow down and recognize who God makes us. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. After God explains through Paul, as he has saved us by grace through faith, he says this, for we are God's workmanship. Do you know that, that you're God's workmanship? No, I'm a failure. No, when he saves us, we begin to understand that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared, God prepared in advance for us to do. How many times you ever asked this question, you had somebody in your life go, I wonder what my purpose is. You ever ask that? Here it is. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared in advance for you. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to try to be good and go, God, was that enough? No, he goes, I've already prepared it in advance. What I'm asking for you to do is to step into what I have for you, to step into this life of being a blessing. A lot of times, oh, I don't have time. I don't have any talent. He goes, no, no, no. You might think that way, but make it a priority because you're a priority to me. And I have blessed you. To, you are God's workmanship. It literally means you are God's poem. You are his masterpiece. God has blessed you. This is why when we become Christians, we have these spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit is in our life. It's more than we can come up with in ourselves. And God goes, no, but I've given you those gifts to give away. The gift just isn't for you. The gift is for others. And if you want to experience God at his fullest in your life, you will understand that you have been blessed to be a blessing. He's already prepared it in advance for you to do what he's saying for you and I is this. Are you going to join me or not? Are you going to join me in your purpose in this world or not? Because when you begin to join me, you will begin to see things in your life at work that you never could come up with. This is one thing God's challenged me with, and I just want to encourage you with this. Something that I have to stay disciplined is this. I need to remember and go after and be reminded of my joy level more than my job level. That's why oftentimes you can get your dream job and you go, boy, I thought it would feel better than this. Because what we have to pay attention to is the joy of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's God at work. It's God at 
will work. But here's the last one. God says this. He goes, man, your time, your talent, and then your treasure. This is the way that God, he has given us resources. And you go, I know some people, especially I met one guy after church. It was his first time here. And I went, oh man, you know, we hardly ever talk about money here. His first time here, we're talking about money. But here's the deal. This is what Jesus knows. He talked about money more than anything else because this is why. He knows right now what is so much easier for you and I to do is this, to trust our resources than the one who's given them to us. He knows that's our temptation, to get rich rather than to try to be rich and to live this richness out. And this is what it means to trust God with our treasure. It simply means this, that we honor God first. I want to give you five simple things. Sometimes, you know, if you've grown up in a, in a home that taught you about, you know, finances, you've had somebody kind of educate you and lead you in the way. But what I want to do is I just want to give five quick things that teach us in the Bible about our finances. If we want to be generous, because a lot of times this is what happened. You and I, if we're not careful, there will be a need that God presents in our life. He goes, man, I want you to be generous. I want you to step in and meet this need. And this is what will happen because of some of our financial decisions. We'll go, man, I want to meet that need. But then we'll go... I can't. I want to step in, but I, I, I can't. And it's because all the way through life, we've not been honoring God with what he's given us. So five quick things. This is just kind of a 30,000-foot overview of how do we honor God. It's kind of this honor code. It's like if you do CrossFit, the number one rule about CrossFit is to tell other people that you do CrossFit, right? That's kind of like the CrossFit. <laughs> I do CrossFit. Well, I did the trial, but I mean, I still do it, right? You know, and that's kind of like the honor code if you do CrossFit. You got to tell everybody about CrossFit. Here's, the, here's kind of the honor code of how we honor God with what he's given us. The first thing is this. You want to write this down. If we're going to honor God with our possession, number one is this. You've got to realize that God owns it all. It doesn't start by you giving back to God first. That's what some of you are like, oh, here he goes. Here comes a preacher guy, give back to God. No, no, no. It starts with you and I understanding that God already owns it all. You go, we'll prove it. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Do you realize that God owns it all? See, I forget. Sometimes I go, man, this is all I have. This is all I have. No, no, no. What I have to remember is this. God, you already own it all. And you will supply everything I need. You have richly provided us with everything for our enjoyment. If we're going to be people that are rich and sharing and being generous, what we've got to understand is God already owns it all. The second thing, though, is this. We need to be willing, especially as Christians, to work hard. To work hard. There's somewhat of an epidemic I've seen being a Christian over the years that sometimes this is what will happen with Christians. They'll get saved and they'll use that as an excuse to be lazy. I'm a Christian. Get to work. On time. You ought to try it. Unbelievable. This is the way, as Christians, we witness to the world, isn't it? Again, there's nothing worse than some Christian in the workplace that's lazy and everybody knows that they don't do, that they don't buy into the company. They're not willing to serve. See, this is why we got to be willing to work hard. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 14, verse 23. It says this, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. God says, I'm not talking about, God's not saying I need you to go work 80 hours a week because no, that neglects your family, that burns out your soul. What he's saying is this, 
Work hard. I have given you the ability to work hard. I've given you the ability to dream, to think, to be entrepreneur. I've given you this awesome opportunity to make income, to have this joy of working hard. Go work hard. Because here's what happens. When you earn that money, when you go, hey, that hard work they paid you for, and you begin to share with others, and you go, I knew I invested my life into that. And it means so much more because you have skin in the game. But here's what's happened. When you work hard because of the gifts that God's given you, this is what we find in Scripture. It says this. The next thing we need to do when we get paid is we give God our first. This is what in the Bible talks about a tithe. All through Scripture talks about giving back the first 10% to God. This is in Proverbs chapter 3, 9 and 10. It says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, some of you are like, well, I don't have any crops, so I'm out. All right, now, now, hang on. This is what it's meaning. That was the means of wealth. You traded goods. And what would happen is this. You would plant. You would harvest. You would work hard. Harvest time would come. You would get it. And what he would say is this. Give the first 10% to the Lord to honor him to go, God, you gave me this. This isn't something I made. You made this, God. You blessed me with this. You have given me this. Now, here's some of our problems. Sometimes you're going, Nate, you don't understand the debt I'm in and all this other stuff, and I don't even have 10% to give anywhere, man. I don't have any margin. And so this is what we do. Sometimes we default to go, and you know what? If I can't do 10%, I'm not going to do anything at all. And here's what I'm gonna, I want to invite you into, and this is what God invites us into. Start somewhere. Maybe for you, you just begin to go, you know what, God? I've never given you 10%. I'm just going to start somewhere. I'm going to start by giving you back 2% of my paycheck. And we're going to begin to just to take baby steps. Again, you ready? God is not going, you don't give me 10%, I don't love you. No, 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 no. That's killing and crushing yourself. God goes, I love you. I own this all. I will take care of you. But begin to honor me with the first 10%. This, is, this keeps us going, no, God, I trust you. And we give back to him. The fourth thing is this we find in Scripture. After you give back to him, pay yourself second. Pay yourself second. If anybody's ever explained this to you, kind of this biblical mantra is 10, 10, 80. First 10% to God, next 10%, put it to a savings account, pay yourself that, and then the 80%, live on it. Live on it. Make wise decisions. This is what Proverbs 13, verse 11 says this. Whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. See, when we try to put some money back, we're like, well, that's not significant. That doesn't mean anything. We forget. Oh, no, no, it's little by little that God makes this grow. It's us every time putting away a little bit more. And this is why, you ready? Because when there's opportunities to come up to be generous, we go, hey, man, I got an opportunity to be generous. God, you're prompting me. I can step in to be generous. But here's the last thing, and maybe the most important that keeps us from being generous. This is number five. Don't keep up with the Kardashians. All right? It's in the Bible. You just got to keep reading, right? This is what I mean. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Don't wear yourself out. Trying to keep up with everybody. It's not the Joneses anymore. It's the Kardashians. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Don't buy everything because you have the money. Don't. <laughs> Listen to what it says. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. 
for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. And I mean, this is thousands of years ago, which I think it's fascinating that our money prints like this because then it's like, <laughs> it's out of there, man. And you go, I just got paid Friday. Where did it all go? See, if we're not careful, this is what happens. If we don't honor God with our treasure, he's going, no, 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 it's not just that you do good and you're rich in good deeds. It's that we are willing to be generous and share, to step in. And here's the whole thing. It's not just will you do it. Here's the big question you and I need to ask ourselves today is this. Do you trust God to provide what you need? More than time, more than talent, more than your treasure, it's the question of do you and I trust God to meet our needs? It's what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, and it says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. People have forever wondered and feared if we have enough and you and I will forever wonder and fear if it'll be enough. And this is why we got to keep coming back to going, oh God, you have blessed us with the glorious riches of Christ Jesus. You will meet all of our needs as we live this life out. Starting next weekend, we don't want to just talk about being rich. We want to be people who practice being rich. And we do this every year at Northside. If you haven't been a part of, of this uh, church family for more than a year, you, you, you might not know what this is, but this deal called Bi The Big Give. We do this at the end of every year, and what happens is this. We call our mission partners, and we pray about, God, is there an opportunity for us to be rich as a church? And we meet a need above and beyond our normal giving to God. We say, man, we want to give above and beyond, and every year you guys give over $100,000, and we give it away. And some of you, you might be real suspicious, and you've never given to church before any of that stuff, and you go, I don't know if I can trust Nate. Hey, that's all right. I want you to give to the big give first if you're there, just to go, I don't know. Hey, 100% of all this goes to the mission partners, but we prayed, and we started asking our mission partners because we're going as a church we don't want to just be focused on us we want to be rich and we want to do good we want to be rich in good deeds we want to be willing to share and generous and we called our mission partners and one of the things we found uh, with our mission partner Terry and Amy Ruff who are our missionaries over in Africa we said what's going on how can what are some new needs that we can meet and they gave us a list of items. And let me just share some of the stuff that we're going to give as a church. When you give to this, and uh, there's, no, there's, there's not necessarily this is what you have to give. But we want you to pray. And it might be five bucks, might be 50, might be whatever. But we want you to pray and ask God. But they said, here's some of the things. They go, man, we need 300 new Bibles. They are having baptism after baptism. We go, we need 300 new Bibles. We said, hey, we'll ask our church, can we do that? They said, you know, we need a new well for clean water. You know, for us, we don't like our tap water, so we get bottled water. They don't even have a choice on water. They're going, man, we need a new well. We're like, we'll see if we can build that and buy that. They said, we need to feed more children through our farming system. And here's what it costs. You know, it's 25 grand if we're going to expand this. And we go, hey, let's see if we can do that, Northside family. And then they said, we're doing this Christian education they're training up pastors. They're raising up people to take the gospel all over Africa. And we go, you know what? Let's do that. And then something that God has done in our church family, it just came out of Northside this year. It's called the Nursery Project. And it's this organization, didn't start as an organization, started as a group of ladies that actually were helping families here in the church. And this is what the Nursery Project does. It comes alongside families who have, when they give birth to a child, there's severe complications. Because, see, this is where the church needs to be. It needs to come alongside those who are hurting. 
And what's happened is this. There's just been a group of, of people here who said, let's come alongside families who are hurting and going through hard times. And what they do is this. They either, one, help the family out, or what they started doing is sometimes because of complications, they go into that family's home and they build a nursery for them. And they begin to meet needs that are in this world. And they come alongside families and they step into the gap. And what's happening is this. People are coming alive because they are being rich in good deeds and they are being generous and they're willing to share. And what was so cool is this. We, we went, wow, God, we see this nursery project happening. Wow, God, we see our Africa partnership happening. And then what was so neat this last year is we saw this refugee from the Congo come here who met someone from Northside who had been investing into her life, and when she was ready to have a kid, she, her husband wasn't around anymore. And the nursery project came in to meet this need. And so in the big give, we're going to give to this, and I just want to show you what it looks like and what the generosity has been happening here in the Northside family and what we hope happens through our big give initiative. Take a look at this story and be ready to see the church in action.